Hey, this is Allie. Hey, this is Allie. And you're listening to the Diabolical Cyber. Hello, and welcome back to the Diabolical Cyber, your source for art and culture in the cybers. This is actually our second episode, number two. So thanks for coming back and listening to us and maybe sending us some questions and um, arguing with us or agreeing with us, laughing at our terrible jokes. Today, we're going to be talking about cyberlits, looking back to when we were looking ahead. Uh, Just kind of, we've been thinking about books that we've liked to read and how some of these books have really shaped uh, how we see the world um, and maybe even the jobs that we take. Uh, A lot of us really love cyberpunk and sci-fi and reading those from an early age. And it's kind of astonishing now uh, to kind of look at some of the predictions that those books made, if you think of them as predictions. They were weaving something out of pure imagination and happened to incorporate technology. But now when we look around at the world that we live in, we see that these ideas that were just kind of made up, or maybe there was a hint of a whisper of a trend on the horizon, now we see that the world is saturated with it, with um, these types of technologies, connective, social, information-related technologies, um, smart devices, robots, all of these things. And I think what's, what's interesting to explore is how much of this was inevitable that the authors of these books were just guessing and maybe got some things right, and how many of these innovations were shaped or sort of ways of living were shaped by the ideas that these folks generated just out of their head. But then we, as we've pursued advances in technologies, we were kind of pursuing these ideas that we read about uh, earlier in life, maybe even as children or teenagers, and that influenced how we see the world and how we've shaped the world. So we're going to be talking about cyberpunk and sci-fi and books that really we think influenced our life or influenced everyone's life in general. Um, So when, when I'm thinking about books that I read sort of in formative years, I include all the way up through even my early 20s when I was still, or, you know, college age, when I was still kind of figuring out what it was that I wanted to do. Uh, and I think about I think about Gibson and Stevenson, Sterling, Werner Vinge, and even uh, folks who aren't normally thought of as sci-fi like George Orwell or books that are more like humorous and definitely sci-fi like Douglas Adams and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And uh, those these are kind of books that I think of as things that were really forward-looking, that captured my attention, that made me think about technology, made me think about where the future was going in different ways. Uh, And, you know, personally, I love Snow Crash. When I reread it, I, I see more of the present in it each time I read it. And when I first read it, it just, it all seemed very futuristic and, and fantastical, but now it's reality. Uh, So 
With me today to talk about this is Jessica. Jessica, you can find Jessica online on Twitter at ITGirl or ItGirl, ItGirlJS. And also with us today is my friend Helen, who you can find on Twitter at HHorstall. Um, and I'm Allie. You can find me on Twitter at Selena Kyle. And so one of the, in addition to kind of thinking about how things that we read in the past um, have influenced in the future, just sort of thinking about um, young readers and the things they read, um, things we read, whether they were sci-fi or not, and how they, how they influenced um, how we think of the world, how we experience the world, and the possibilities we imagine for our future. And, and also, I think there's an aspect, I don't know how others feel about it, where uh, I can read things and find them very moving, very compelling, very interesting on my own, but there's always so much more depth that I'm able to get when I'm able to discuss the ideas or the themes with other people. Um, so, uh, however, <laughs> even though I, I, I really do feel literature is meant to be discussed and kind of analyzed in a group because we're social creatures and that's one of the, we figure out ways to relate to each other and we relate to the material through things that we're hearing from others and what their takeaways were, you know, things like cyberpunk, sci-fi, fantasy, things, futuristic novels, retellings of history, you know, they're, they're not for everyone. Uh, and actually, Helen actually pulled together a book club group that focused specifically on sci-fi so that uh, so that they could they could all be coming from sort of the same uh, taste and same place. Why don't you tell us a little about that, Helen? I thought it was funny when you said that after your experience of recommending Hitchhikers that you were done with book clubs because I am like a book club fiend. This is my fifth or sixth book club. You know, book clubs don't last forever, but I always want to start a new one. But so I was in this book club like 10 years ago, and it was my turn to pick the book, and I suggested The Diamond Age, which is one of my favorite books. I was like, people are going to love this. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to really enjoy talking to them about it. And then I show up, and people were like, I, I just couldn't get into it. You know, there's a lot of jargon. And I was like, did you read it? I mean, it's, it's a great <laughs> book. It's so amazing. And I was... I was stunned. I mean, I was that was not what I was expecting to have happen. I went home. I was so disappointed. Um, but their comments stuck with me, and I did go back and reread it with an eye towards that. And um, and as I said to you online, it you know, in hindsight, of course, I had gotten the opposite feedback from a lot of people who had read Snow Crash, loved Snow Crash. And then we're really disappointed by the Diamond Age because they were like, I just wanted a second snow crash. And instead it was this like story about a little girl. And, you know, I liked the beginning and then, then what happened? Um, and so it, you know, I like snow crash. It's, it's a good book, but it didn't move me the way the Diamond Age did. And so, you know, earlier last year, I thought to myself, it would be great if I could convince all those people who I hadn't been able to persuade um, 
to really dig into Snowcraft or to the Diamond Age the first time around, that there is something in sci-fi for them. There is something in fantasy for them. This is not just a genre for space opera and you know techno toys. That that there's there's some real meat here. Um, and so I got together a couple of friends, some of whom are very into sci-fi and some of whom are decidedly not. And it was like, well, can we persuade everybody else that, that there's something here? Um, so we haven't really gotten into any cyberpunk yet or technology books. And I am not ready to have my heart broken over the diamond age a second time just yet. <laughs> but you know, we're on our third book and, um, and we read Kindred by Octavia Butler as the first book, which is, I think, not not what anybody in the group was expecting. Um, How so? I'm not familiar with that one. It's a terrific book, and you should check it out. Um, and in fact, Melissa Lewis is the one who recommended it to me. Um, but it's a it's a time travel book about a um, you know a modern day African-American woman, but modern days, 70s now, um, traveling back in time, uh, who is in a, a interracial couple, traveling back in time to her um, slave ancestor period. Wow. Really powerful book, incredibly well-written, like, gets right into you. Um, but if what you're expecting when you hear sci-fi is spaceships or dystopia, I mean, it certainly is dystopia, but not of what you would expect. Um, yeah, people yeah. were really blown away. I think it's funny that you mentioned that because as a kid, when I thought about sci-fi, I really, my head just takes, take, takes me to Asimov and the Norby Chronicles and books where there were robots in outer space, like even books like Dune, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, all of those kind of fit into that space cowboy, space opera narrative that you're, you're sort of bringing up. Um, those books were really more about, they were more about the, the science and the great vastness of space than the human element. Um, and, and really, I think that as a kid, there was something about space and robots that just seemed like they were core elements of sci-fi. And when books that were sci like called science fiction were recommended to me by teachers, let's say, they seemed to always have those elements in them and books that were more focused on the science side of sci-fi as opposed to the human aspect of the story. And in fact, it wasn't even necessarily the science side. It was simply the not human side. Um, like specifically the, the focus of the books were, were on the, the, it just planets, cold, dark outer space, space stations and, and, uh, and technology with very little relevance to humanity. I, so do you had teachers who recommended sci-fi to you then is what you're telling me. So it might have been teachers, but it might have also been librarians making the recommendations. 
Um, as a kid, I was really a voracious reader to the point that I think it freaked out my mom a little bit because I was always scheming to get my hands on more books. I kind of like would hit the max takeout uh, volume at the library on a very regular basis. So, um, but actually now that I think about it too, I think a lot of those recommendations might have come from my dad because I remember him specifically recommending 1984, Brave New World, which I feel like they're sort of precursors to sci-fi. Um, they were definitely thinking ahead to a, a dystopian future. Uh, he also recommended Orwell's Animal Farm to me way too early in my life, which I still blame him for, dad, seriously. Um, but I just, just, I just remember sci-fi being I mean, I don't know why the Norby Chronicles keep sticking in my head, but I think it was because it was Asimov sci-fi, but it was really rewritten and or written in a way to be accessible to kids. Um, and if I think about, if I'm looking back now, I think about, um, I think, I didn't think of it as sci-fi at the time, but there was a series that I really loved called The AI Gang uh, by Bruce Coville. I don't, I don't remember other kids um, responding to it the way that I did. I really fell in love with it. I really wrote to Coville and asked him to write more books in the series. There were only four. Um, but what the story was about was it was actually about these kids and their parents were all scientists and all of these families were sort of relocated to a remote island because the parents were all um, researchers that had been tasked with building a sentient artificial intelligence. And what happened is the kids, they, they weren't told that their parents had been tasked with this, but they figured it out and they decided they were going to all join forces and have their own kind of gang doing research. And they were going to beat their parents to the punch and they were going to get the AI to become sentient first uh using their own methods and their own approach so it was kind of like the bloodhound gang in a way because each book was a mystery um, but at the same time they were talking about building this computer building this sentience and you know the author was throwing out all of these ideas around what kinds of technologies were going to be available in the sort of near future to make this happen uh, and how these things were going to be combined and what was what was needed to make AI go from simply smart to sentient. Um, and it's sort of weird to me now that when reading the book, I didn't think of it as sci-fi because although there was technology, it was really more about the kids and the mystery and they were on Earth as opposed to the technology. I mean, there were robots and computers involved, obviously, but um, but but those things weren't the main characters. They weren't, they weren't the focus of the book. They were, it was a, it was a device of the book. So. so I I as, as a kid, I didn't really think of any book as having any genre. Right. Right. I was also a voracious reader. I, you know, there was in my sixth grade classroom, there was just a shelf full of books and I read every book on the shelf because it just, I just needed another book to read. And so, right, I read 2001, 2010 uh, off that shelf just because it was there. And it wasn't like, oh, well, I read sci-fi or I don't. I mean. Right. Right. 
How about you, Jessica? You're on mute. Oh no. What is wrong with Hangouts tonight? <laughs> oh yeah, one thing I forgot to tell Helen. We have an explicit rating, so you can swear if you want. Um, but the other reason why I got the explicit rating is in case anyone swears, I'm a terrible editor. So I don't like to go out and make edits. <laughs> this is also me buying time to see if Jessica is going to come back on verbally. Okay. How about, how about that? Can you hear me? Yes, we can totally hear you. Okay. Cool. Um, so anyway, the, the first science fiction I remember reading when I was young. Um, was um, a wrinkle in time. Wrinkle in time. So that's what we're reading as our as our book right now, which I had never read as a child. Oh, it's yeah. a great series. Yeah, so I just read the first two books for my book club. So I read, so I read one in school. In school. Um, um, and read the rest of the rest of my own. Um, you know what? Let me take one more look at my sound. Because that echo is going to. You're echoing your So one thing that you asked Helen was if I had teachers who recommended sci-fi, and I don't, I don't remember them specifically making. Um, I don't really rec remember them making specific recommendations, um, but I do remember reading Hitchhikers in eighth grade and Stranger in a Strange Land in sometime in high school that were on a list. So, so I took some classes where we got to choose some things, as I would have never chosen as I lay dying. But that's a different episode. Are you back, Jessica? Okay, so that's working. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. And no echo. Um, yeah. Okay. So we're saving as I lay dying for a different episode because I had yeah. to read that in school as well, and that was uh, <laughs> not one of my favorite books. That's not um, cyberpunk. But but anyway, yeah. Um, no, as a kid, I read pretty much anything I could. Went to the library, read everything there. Once I got through all my parents' books, um, I ended up reading a lot of weird horror and literature, which my parents seemed to have a lot of, and kind of moved from that into science fiction, and then moved into that a lot more on my own, more in high school and college. Um, like, like I said, A Wrinkle in Time in that series was the one that really stuck out the most to me. So if you haven't read that or read the entire thing, I would still definitely recommend it. Definitely made an impact on me as a kid um, with things that I wanted to learn more about and just kind of society as a whole. Um, further on in school, we got more into the, the spaceship stuff, I guess, if you want to, like, Ray Bradbury, things like that, um, who I found kind of depressing. Um, but once I started to find the science fiction with the more human side, um, and then just the more science technical stuff that wasn't necessarily space or just depressing allegory of our current society, um, that's when it got pretty interesting for me. Cool. Did either of you ever read the Stainless Steel Rat series? No, I never. I don't think so. Okay. That one is one that would definitely fall in under Space Cowboy, but the Stainless Steel Rat was a thief, basically, or special agent, maybe said more nicely. But uh, he, he was kind of a trickster, and even though it was Space Cowboy, I liked the character so much, I read a lot of the books in the series. It also had that kind of silly, fantastical element of uh, like a Doug Douglas Adams type book. 
uh, and I I just it's another there's something thematic about him. He was he was the ultimate social engineer or hacker, um, and it was something that I read before I got into college. And um, I don't think I really read a cyberpunk until I was in college. And um, let's see, I'm surrounded by this stack of books, so uh, make terrible noises. Okay, so is this backwards or forwards to you? It's forwards. It's forwards. Okay, so this this is actually not fiction. This is the Cuckoo's Egg by Cliff Stoll. It's based on a real story of a of a researcher, I think at Lawrence at Lawrence Livermore Lab in, near Berkeley, um, this this dude found that um, some hackers had broken into his system. But this was before security was a thing, and he went to great lengths to try and track them down. Um, partially, this was important because uh, Lawrence Livermore Labs or Lawrence Berkeley Labs were um, associated with the DOE, and if you're in Hackerland, you know that it's serious business if you're messing with the DOE or the DOD. Um, and my dad recommended this to me, and this was one of the things that I think kind of got me into security, or interested in these sort of security type things. Then I read Snow Crash, and I don't remember if anyone recommended it to me. Snow Crashes by uh, Neil Stevenson, who wrote uh, The Diamond Age, which Helen just mentioned, and also Zodiac. I can't find my copy of Snow Crash, which is disappointing, but not surprising, because that's one that I lend out a lot. When I read Snow Crash so much, I immediately read Zodiac. Um, a few people who I have lent Snow Crash to it have liked it and come back to me. They've all universally hated Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> and if they've read Zodiac, they won't read anything else by Stevenson. I liked Zodiac. It was sort of a bio-terror-inspired, insane thing that, you know, the last hundred pages you have no idea what's going on anymore. Um, but I, I, I think that every, every time I reread um, Snow Crash, I get something else out of it. And that's because there's a lot more going on than, than the technology associated with it. You both have read it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've read everything Stevenson has Same. Heard. Yeah. He is good. He and William Gibson. So this is pattern recognition, which pattern recognition and snow crash, I think, are tied for my, my, my favorite, favorite books in the genre. Um, but I, I feel like, so, so pattern recognition is really kind of, it's not even in the future exactly, it's kind of like an alternative retelling of present day with a little bit of conspiracy theory added in and maybe some magic technology, but not super far future stuff. Snow Crash was really interesting, reading it in the mid-90s because a lot of the technology that he talks about actually has been deployed. Um, so just some themes for folks, not no spoilers, I don't think, but some themes that I think are interesting. His, his representation of the metaverse as a physical place, um, the idea of language as a way to hack the mind, 
um, all of the things that he did with sort of franchises and branded experiences uh, and how people choose their choose a lot of their how they're going to experience life based on brand affinity what else did he do that was really interesting in that book I think those are some those are those are some of the main major major themes also um, the gargoyles accountability associated with pizza on demand <laughs> oh the gargoyles yes the gar describe the gargoyles People who are out there with gear, just recording everything they see and experience, and are streaming it live to the internet. Right, so and 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 that sort of that sort of streaming instead of reporting is also kind of interesting because the gargoyles are they're stringers for news agencies like the AP, but they're also um, collecting intelligence, kind of almost like data bounty hunters collecting information um, for the CIA and intelligence agents. So they're just like freelance, freeform, broadband, big data aggregators on feet, essentially. And and their their experiences is, is, is totally mediated because while they are big data collectors themselves, they're also experiencing life kind of through um, through AR that is constantly streaming data to them, so it's a two, there's a two-way feed. So basically, they're ambulatory data processing units. <laughs> um, I think though that the oh, um, what am I doing with the camera? I think though that the 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 metaverse is essentially a set is really interesting looking back on it because so for folks who haven't read the book the metaverse is this physical it's like it's very physical and how it's experienced but it's essentially people in the book they kind of they um, are able to they, they connect to the metaverse and they're able to walk around in this space and socialize with others and their experience is dictated by um, the quality of the bandwidth and the technology that they have available to them. So in my head, I kind of feel like there are folks who are dialing in from like a broadband version of a dot matrix printer. They're grainy when they walk around. But if you're more sophisticated and you have better software and a better connection, then you have kind of all of these bells and whistles. And the thing that was is interesting about that now is that at the time, at the time the web wasn't even a thing. At the time it was news groups. And so while there was this idea that you could have a different representation of yourself in cyberspace, the idea that it was a place and that you could navigate around it and that you would socialize with people in such a connected way was not really a thing yet. Um, so I think that's interesting. Also, of course, we we have the the second life, um, virtual reality or virtual sorry not virtual reality virtual world uh, that an environment that was created by the folks at Linden Labs, which was inspired by that. So they in that you can, it's kind of a cross between a game and a community application. I'm not really sure what to call it, but there. 
there's actually the concept of place. You can be someplace on a map. You could rent or buy property um, and develop on it and um, interact with others in common spaces, and it had a very physical element to us. So I don't. I think that I think now that instead of instead of walking around in physical places, our feeds have become our places, um, and I'm not sure that I'm not sure that that representation, other than um, what Gibson sort of put into Neuromancer with how systems lived sort of in space and at, attacks were made against systems and there was sort of a, a very visceral feeling of space or being jacked into the, I think he used the term metaverse too, didn't he? Um, I'm not sure that I've seen other representations of space that now feel obvious. I mean, people who read Snow Crash now, they're not impressed because they're like, yeah, okay, well, that's how life is. <laughs> I don't know if either of you have ever recommended Snow Crash to others. Have you recommended it to anyone lately? I think uh, the last time I recommended Snow Crash to someone was with a few other people as part of a group project when we were doing a presentation um, to an MBA class um, about online presence and advertising. We were doing a case study on Skype. That's what it was. Okay. And uh, just talking about here, you know, here however many years ago is how people thought our own online spaces would be, and here's the reality of what we're dealing with today. So That's fascinating. A few people went out and read it, but it, it was interesting to look at in the context of this is what's happening in our real world right now. How long ago was that class? Um, probably like 2010. Okay. So maybe not really recently, but the last time I recommended it to multiple people at once. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't recommend it anymore because I think it's groundbreaking exactly. I recommend it in in the sense that, you know, if people ask me what my favorite book is, I will I will mention it. And also I still think that the some of the things that he talks about about franchises and the role of government in such a privatized world and also, you know, the hacker mystique still in there. So I, I, I will sort of give it a general recommendation, but I don't give it a, a specific kind of, um, you have to read this, it will change your life anymore. Um, but then I think that's also because, as Helen alluded to, sometimes when you make those recommendations, people people's reaction is very different. <laughs> so what Helen was mentioning is that um, I was in a book club that was sort of a general book club it was they were interested in fiction and so when it was my turn to nominate a book we'd been doing all of this um, I don't know how to describe it book clubby books yeah Oprah book club books New York Times bestseller kind of the you know easy what everybody's reading right now kind of things and so I thought you know oh it'll be fun we'll do Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and I just thought everybody had read it <laughs> by this point and they really didn't they really didn't get it and they you know it, they didn't like it that they didn't they didn't get it it was just like what's with that Zaphod guy why does he have two heads I don't understand what's with the towel I'm like oh it's horrible so we read Bel Canto next 
Um, so as I was, because I, I do have a stack of books here, so I was going through and I found some other things that um, influenced me, like uh, for Cyberpunk, Sewer Gas and Electric by Matt Ruff, a bunch of different books by Gibson and Bruce Sterling, including The Difference Engine. Either of you guys ever come across that? So to be honest, I never finished it. But um, the difference engine it actually goes back in time. So this is about like Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace and 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 that whole thing. It's like it's more like historical sci-fi, which I think is really interesting. And then um, let's see. So the girl with the dragon tattoo, this Dig Larson book, I think is is kind of a representation of what could be considered, you know, new cyberpunk, right? Elizabeth Sander is a is a hacker. But, uh, oh, and I've got Orson Scott Card, also not cyberpunk, but just sci-fi that's kind of uh, really interesting with how technology is used and the relationships. But then I found something amazing. You guys want to see it? You have no choice. The Cyberpunk Handbook. Oh, my gosh. I've seen that. that. Yeah, that's, a, that's great. I did not even remember that I had purchased this, read it, much less own it. So this is by St. Jude, Are You Serious, and Bart Nagel, forward by Bruce Sterling. But when, um, when I grew up, I remember there was this book called The Preppy, The Guide to Being Preppy, The Preppy Handbook. That I just thought, yeah, I just thought it was fascinating. So they did a cyberpunk version, and... Um, so Jessica has been to DEF CON recently. This, these folks could be at DEF CON this year, right? Yeah, she's nodding. She doesn't really want to admit it, but yes, these are our people. And uh, let's see, when was this published? Do you want to guess, Jessica? Um, I'd say probably some time in the, looking at the close. It had to have been some time in the 90s. Yeah. 1995. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, okay, so any other books that you guys feel like, not just that you enjoyed, but that influenced you, either growing up or even recently? So another book that I really kind of hesitate to recommend to people now because I loved it so much and I don't like hearing their reactions to it was Red Mars. Um, I just thought, have you read it? Nope. You should read it. <laughs> See, I can't even stop myself from recommending it. It's, <laughs> so it's a book about colonizing Mars, but, um, you know, it's also, you know, it's technology, but you, but under constraints, and you know, there's always the human element with the team. I, you know, like I, the human element is what what speaks to me about it. But um, it just really inspired me and moved me, and it was like, yes, we could do this. I mean, we can colonize Mars. We can fix our own planet. I mean, all like everything you want to get out of reading a great book. Um, the other the other books are okay. You don't need to read the whole series, but Red Mars is awesome. Awesome. 
think um, two of my favorite authors that, that go from science fiction to cyberpunk territory are um, William Gibson and Charlie Strauss, and I'd pretty much recommend anything written by either of them. Um, for, for both the, wow, this is the future we live in today, even if this was written in the 90s kind of books, and just interesting things that happen. And um, I like how in both of their books, if you look at actual characters and people that maybe you can identify with, um, you've got cool people doing cool things. Sometimes they're trying to be cool. Sometimes they're not trying to be cool. Um, but they're going out there and doing cool, cool hackery stuff. And uh, they're also interesting characters. Like I, I feel like a lot of the portrayal of hackers in popular media today is really problematic. Like you mentioned the girl with the dragon tattoo. And you have things like Mr. Robot. So I, I look at you know books or movies or shows like that and I think, hey, you've got this hacker wearing all black and oh, oh wait, all of a sudden, okay, they're also completely crazy. They're on drugs. You know that something terrible is gonna happen. Like, oh, okay, maybe I don't wanna say hey, these are, these are my people anymore, that, that's me, right? Except that it's really not. But you, you get into some of the other, I'm saying with Strauss or Gibson, interesting characters, but that are not necessarily down the same road of like utter destruction. So my favorite Strauss book is the one with the cars. Is that Accelerando? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, They're like investment banker, Mad Max driver, I think it might be. It's okay. been a while since I've read it. It feels like Accelerando would be about going fast, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be. The the <laughs> I'm probably wrong. I'm probably going to get all kinds of hate tweets for having picking the wrong Strauss book, but I thought that one was really really interesting. Um, oh, Werner Vinge is another one who. Um, uh, Helen's looking up. That really, that holds up too. I mean, some things you go back and reread them and you're like, oh, why did I like this so much when I read it before? Um, and Werner Binge. Yeah. He's, so, is it, is it Rainbow's End that's his? Is that no. sound right? It's, oh God, I can't remember the name of the books. Oh. We'll have to look up some Binge. I, th I think, I think it's Rainbow's Rainbow's End. Someone can. It is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I really liked that one. I don't know that I've read that one. Why? His Across Real Time series with the time bubbles were really interesting. Um, and then A Fire Upon the Deep and The Deepness in the Sky, both of which um, now I'm, I'm I should have been making a Goodreads list the whole time we've been talking. I want to put that. I want to put it in the show notes. So um, I, I, if you open up the chat, I'm sort yeah. of trying to take notes on things that we're saying. At least the authors. Yeah. But yeah, Werner Vinge is great. He's a uh, he's still a computer science professor at. I want to say UCSD, but it could be. It could also be San Diego State. Somewhere in San Diego, Werner. San Vinge. Diego State. Okay, thank you very much. San Diego State, Werner Vinge is a, is a computer science professor, so. He's got and his great. wife is a fantasy author, um, with the Ice Queen and the Summer Queen, which is actually a, a pretty decent pair of books, yeah, too. Yeah, those are good books. Wait, he wrote them, did you say? He wrote them. His wife is also an author. Oh, how cool. That is really neat. Awesome. Cool. Um, what about recent books you've read that you feel like 
have made an impact, made a dent in your psyche. What was that? What about more recent books that you feel like have made a dent in your psyche? I feel like it's harder, you know, like the books you read in your late teens, early 20s, those books stick with you for a long time. They impact your life. You recommend them to lots of people. But as you get older, it's harder for a book to really break through. Yes. Well, I have been in, thank you for that question. I have been um, a part-time student. <laughs> so I've been reading a lot of econometrics, uh, not quite, not quite cyber, not quite very cybery. Um, but let's see. So Gibson continues to delight and uh, the, the peripheral was amazing. And before that, I read ReamD. That was a couple of years ago, but for me, that one was amazing because I was just about to start a gig working for a video game company, um, specifically working on some of the aspects of their economy um, with their virtual, the virtual currencies and, and how those, those games um, work and monetize and fraud and um, payments and security. So ReMD was really a fantastic joyride because it, I guess, sort of obviously from my description, there's some things associated with the video game currency associated with it, as well as like international money laundering, drug terrorist trade, and just the usual kind of um, Gibson weaving a lot of different themes together. So that one was really interesting. And then um, I also found this this is my second laptop full about Coco takes a holiday. So this one I just thought was super fun. And this it's not really cyberpunk in the sense it's it's, it's this is pretty much straight up sci-fi. Um and she, she's like a an assassin former assassin soldier type person and it's just kind of a, a romp, a cyber sci-fi futuristic romp, if you will. So I thought that one was fun. And then uh yeah, I think I think I think I've been I need to do some rereading and I need to start reading some of the books that are growing in piles around me. How about you, Jessica? Have you read anything lately? Um, you know, I was just actually taking a look at my my list of latest things that I've read, trying to think of something that really stood out to me that fit, like, kind of specifically in this category. Um, so I ride the train to and from work, and I read pretty quickly, so um, I've read a lot lately, um, a lot of books. <laughs> um, so trying to pick any out of that that really stood out. Um, I don't know, maybe because I'm not as young and impressionable as I used to be, there's nothing that I've read recently that just really gripped me in the same way. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll have to think about that. Um, I keep meaning to put all my books in the Goodreads and uh, trying to point out which ones I actually remembered. But yeah, this is going to give me some motivation to go through and say which of these are actually really good. Well, I'll make one more recommendation then since you're taking a pass, which is, I don't know who the author is, I need to look it up, but The Rook. So, and actually I think that there's a sequel out. My, my, my best friend mentioned that there's a sequel out, so I'm looking forward to that. So The Rook is a fantasy sci-fi kind of mashup so it's kind of it's um it's british so it's got some british humor which i like there's a strong female protagonist there's magic and there's aliens 
It's a great combination. Yeah. Sold. Mm-hmm. How about you, Helen? Have you what have you read lately? Um, David Mitchell has been a new favorite of mine. Um, the Bone Clocks came out a year or two ago, and um, tied up a whole bunch of books in his universe. His big book is Cloud Atlas, which I thought was a, a pretty solid book. I didn't see the movie. I heard bad things about it. Um, but he his, he spans a lot of different genres with his writing, So um, and, and he's a terrific writer, so I would check him out. I My young oldest child is five, so I have been filling in gaps in my young adult literature and I didn't read the Susan Cooper Darkest Rising series as a kid and read that in the last year and just it knocked my socks off. I mean it just blew me away. I was like I can't believe no one insisted I read this sooner than now. Um, what else have I read? And re- so you know the book I feel like has actually, um, that I've recommended the most to people in the last five years is not, not science fiction, it's not even fiction at all, um, but Atul Gawande's Being Mortal is a really amazing book and um, I think is useful for anyone in a profession that involves dealing with humans, which is all that. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I feel like I had some other great recommendations, but I'll stop there. I think um, one other that might be timely right now, um, if we're if we're moving off off the science fiction category a little bit. Sure. Um, some of the recent books by N.K. Jemisin, and she just won the Hugo Award for one of her books. She is a fantastic writer and is definitely one of my recent favorites. So you both, I just bumped like a book up on my Kindle because I had. Um, 100,000 Kingdoms was up next, and I had started Coco Takes a Holiday and just put it down because I, the way I pace books is I have a queue at the library and when a book comes in, it's like, okay, I've got to put whatever I actually own on pause so I can quick read that book and return it, Um, and it got bumped down, but now I'm like, oh, well, Ally thinks it's great, I better bump it back up. Yeah, I thought it was fun. It's kind of the sci-fi equivalent of a beach read. Cool. All right. Um, you also mentioned recommendations for kids. So, or you recommended some of the things that your your kids are reading now. Uh, and Jessica, do you have any recommendations for kids? Um, not, not that I can think of offhand. Okay. Well, I will recommend I will recommend looking up the AI Gang by Bruce Coville. I actually think that it might be a little corny now, but I think that it would. I think there might be aspects of it that would stand up, and I also kind of think maybe the Westing Game would stand up. And that's loved that book. Yeah, I definitely agree. That and that author did more than one. Uh, I I think that. I remember there being at least one other that was sort of in a similar genre that I really liked. 
Okay. Well, I think that uh, we have gone through and talked a little bit about some of the cyber and sci-fi books that, that, that we read that we think influenced us and potentially how technology developed. I mean, I, I've read a lot of folks, or I've, I have run into a lot of folks who got a lot of mileage out of um, some of Gibson's books like Neuromancer, Burning Chrome, Mona Lisa Overdrive, a lot of hacker handles inspired by, by, by that set of books. And then I've had a lot of conversations with folks about Snow Crash and pattern recognition. Um, those are my two favorites. And I've had a lot of folks who wanted to talk to me about Case Pollard and how she, the bendium, which is the, one of her allergies. I know if you, if, if you read the book, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't read the book, you should read it. And I guess that is the last of it. Helen, thanks so much for joining us. It was really great to catch up with you a little bit on a topic that we both really love, which is books. And Jessica, thanks also for co-hosting tonight. Um, I forgot to do it at the beginning, so I will mention that for this episode, like all of our episodes, standard content disclaimers apply. Opinions described here in our personal and don't reflect the views of any of our employers, affiliated organizations, parents, or favorite cartoon characters, or anyone else, living, dead, or fictional. It is just us. And if you want to find us online, we are on Twitter at Diabolical Cyber. We are on the web at thediabolicalcyber.space. And you probably found this episode on soundcloud.com at the Diabolical Cyber or somewhere on YouTube. Short link to be determined. Anyway, thanks everybody for coming out and uh, hit us up on Twitter. Or let us know if you have questions or uh, book recommendations or if you have recommendations for topics for future episodes. This is Allie, and we are out of here.